Welcome to the Epicenter Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Epicenter Church, visit epicenterchurch.com.au. Jesus, I thank you for the opportunity, the privilege, and the blessing it is to be able to share, Father, with um, everyone here as well as with myself, what it is I feel that you've placed in my heart to share, Father. I pray that as I talk, Father, I pray that your spirit ministers to all of us in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. So, how many like board games? How many people get bored with board games? How many people think board games should just be burnt? No. Uh, well, regardless whether you like them or not, some, most of you, I'm assuming, will know the game Snakes and Ladders. Yep, we've all at least heard of it. Some of us are shivering in our seats from childhood trauma that was um, received while playing that game with our siblings. I'm one of those people. If you don't know what the board game is, it's a relatively simple game. It's however many squares you want to have it. The game that we had when we were kids, it had 100 squares and you'd roll a dice and whatever dots turned up on the dice, you'd move a certain amount of squares. Now there's a blessing and a curse that comes with this game. The blessing is this. There's patterned all over the, the board or in different squares, there's, there's ladders. And so if you land at the bottom of the ladder, you, like you get to climb the ladder and it, like, it projects you further forward, like further ahead from where you are. So the ladders always go up. In fact, I think the, the game that we had when we were kids, there was a ladder on about line three. And if you land on that ladder, it took you all the way up to the top and then you won the game. Like you only had to like move like 30 squares and then hit this ladder and you won the game. It was great. Loved it. But then there's a curse with the game. Everyone that's played it knows what I'm talking about. There's snakes. No one likes snakes, whether they're in real life, whether they're on boards, whether they're anywhere. We don't like snakes. But anyways, there's snakes in this game. And so the curse is this, that you roll a dice and you run along. And if you land on the snake's head, instead of going upwards, you have to follow the snake's body all the way down to the, the bottom somewhere. And so it takes you, moves you backwards. And the, one, the game that we had when we were kids, on the square right before the last one, there was a snake that would take you all the way back to the very bottom, to right to the start of where you started. So you, you'd spend all this time, all this energy fighting your siblings with the dice to get to the top. Then you'd hit this snake and you'd slide and slither like all the way down. And I, I don't know if, well, if you've played it, you would have discovered that generally one or two things happen. Sometimes nothing happens. It's just a cruisy game. But generally one or two things. You're either constantly winning you all like the whole game is just you landing on ladders and getting projected forward. Anyone experienced that? Yep. Or you've experienced what I experienced, and that was the opposite, where I was never doing that. My brothers always had that blessing of landing on the ladders and getting projected forwards. Uh, but what I used to have happen, and I imagine we've all experienced, is we land on snakes' heads and we constantly go backwards. And so we, we feel like we get a couple of um, steps forward, a couple of places forward, and we land on the snake's head, and then all of a sudden we're going backwards, and it feels like five steps forward, another snake head, and now I go backwards again, move forward a little bit, and then I'm further back again. And it just keeps going on and on and on and on, and it gets like, it creates angry moments with this game. Like sometimes boards get thrown across the room. We're not going to talk about who did that. Yet, like, it's, it's, it's frustrating. It's great when it's all going well, but it's frustrating when everything goes um, absolutely pear-shaped. But if I'm to, like, to relate that to, to life, to my life, to all of our lives, probably, I imagine that we all can somewhat relate to life being something similar. I, I imagine we could all think of a person 
that their life just feels like, at least to us, when we look from the outside and we look at them, we stare at them, we think their life's just constantly landing on ladders. Constantly landing on a ladder. and It's always getting projected forwards. Perhaps it's not you, but I imagine all of us can think of someone that their life just always seems to go right. No matter what job they get, their life goes right. It goes forward. They never have a, they have never a fight with their spouse. Never do they fight with their spouse. Their kids are never naughty. Their kids are perfect. Their health is never a problem. Their finances are never a problem. Like nothing ever goes wrong. And it just seems whatever dice that life rolls to them, they continually move forward. Can we all think of that person? You can nod at me if you, if you would like. Well, I know we're a bit quiet this morning, but can we all roughly think of that person? Just life seems to be good for them. Yeah. And I imagine you can think of someone else that it's the opposite. It just seems like they're always landing on a snake's head. Like no matter what happens in life, no matter how good the cards are dealt to them, they're always going backwards. And perhaps that's you. Perhaps you're the... You're the latter or perhaps you're the former. But I, I imagine regardless of where we feel like we sit continually in life, we can go through seasons as far as we can go through, reflect through our life, and we can see seasons where we felt like we're just always landing on snake's heads, always going backwards. Perhaps that season's felt like it's been the, our entire life, or perhaps it's just been a handful of weeks or months or what have you. But... I think most of us have all come to that point in life where we feel like we're just constantly getting bitten, tripped up, and we're going backwards. We can just never put one foot in front of the other without tripping on it. Everything we do, everything we touch, it just seems to turn pear-shaped. So the question, if we go to the first slide, is this. What do we actively do as individuals? What do we do when you find yourself standing on a snakehead? As far as figuratively, you can, you can use whatever other example you want there for that statement but figuratively what do you do what do we do what do all of us do when we stand on a snake's head I don't know what you said David but (laughs) I think we all do this it was the next slide we all we all worship every single one of us now, worship, we, we generally term and we generally view and we generally see as what we just did before with the band. You can drop that slide. Praising and worshiping and singing and vocalizing. We, we generally view worship with that, but that's only an element of worship, only one tiny worship element. Worship is far more than that. Worship ultimately is something that we engage with, with our hearts and with our minds. Worship is what we focus on, what we dwell on, what we think about, what we remind ourselves of. Ultimately, what we do when we start landing on snake's heads, what we do when we start landing on ladders is we will worship. The question would probably be is what do you worship? What is it that you worship? So when you're landing on snake's heads all the time, what is it that you focus your worship on? On because the reality is this that we will resemble whatever it is that we worship. Whatever we worship will resemble. And so if we find ourselves in those times and seasons of frustration, of struggling perhaps with addiction, or maybe we're, we're, we're struggling with financial turmoil, or our wife or husband, the just most irritating person in the world, and all we focus on is the irritation or the struggle or the financial turmoil. When we, all we do is focus on that, that is us reflecting our worship towards that. And what's the end result? Well, we 
resemble whatever it is that we worship. You see, what worship does is it ultimately changes our thinking. It changes who we are. So what we focus on, that is the thing that we are worshiping, regardless of whether it's God, regardless of whether it's a person, regardless of whether it's an idea, we can worship obstacles, we can worship circumstances, we can worship emotional turmoil, we can worship anything. Whatever has our undivided, complete attention, that's what we'll worship. So I think when talking about dealing with how do we work through, how do we engage in worship that perhaps moves us to this point where we resemble something other than our sucky circumstances or our snake's head experiences, I think the Bible has a lot to say about ways that we can actively do that. And I think some of the best literature written on the subject will be found in the book of Psalms. Psalms, for those of you that don't know what it is, it's their stories, their poems, their songs, their all sorts of things of these guys coming together writing stuff together, writing stuff for themselves. They're lamenting. They're giving joy. They're saying, thank you. They're telling you about how bad life is or telling themselves about how bad life is. And ultimately what they are is this. They're a collection of prayers, a collection of worship, have you, a collection of how they're feeling or how the author's feeling. And Most of them are written by a man named King David. And so when you read through the book of Psalms, you'll find different Psalms. Some are him lamenting on how bad life is, how everything's falling apart, how nothing is going right, how God's abandoned him, how life's abandoned him, how all his enemies just continue to devour him and continue to move forward in life. And he's always going backwards and nothing's ever going right for him. And that's part of his lament. That's part of his struggle. Well, it sounds something similar to what we go through as far as on an emotional level at times. And then you've got other ones that they do the opposite. He talks about how great life is, about how he is projecting forward, moving forward, and everything is going good. And ultimately, through the Psalms, you get this up and down curvature of what life's just actually like. But what you see through it is a person, is a man who fixes his worship on God rather than his circumstances. See, we've got this, I think, idea sometimes when it comes to worship, directing our worship, focusing our worship has to look like forgetting our problems, forgetting our issues, forgetting our struggles, and solely focusing on God and kind of wiping everything out. But worshiping God realistically is bringing Him into the midst of everything and focusing on Him through it. So Psalm 42 says this. It says, as the deer Longs for the streams of water. I like this. It's talking about deer. I love hunting deer. And I like to imagine when I read that, that the deer is coming to the stream while I'm poised there with my gun and I bring home food for my family. But it's not. That has nothing to do with anything that I'm talking about, by the way. Um, If you're not into hunting, I really apologize for that. So as a deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you. Like What he's saying is it's like the deer is standing in a parched land. It's, it's, It's dry. It's barren. There is no water running at the moment. So the deer is longing for something. Why does he long for water? Because he wants something that fills his body. He needs it. It energizes him. It gives him life. And he says, "I so I long for you. I thirst for God. And so the author, David, starts off with, I thirst for God. I'm thirsting for something. I need something because the living God. Next slide. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Easy killer. He says, day and night, I only have tears for food. So he says, I'm thirsting for God for this reason, because day and night, I only have tears for food. He's struggling. He feels like all I'm eating is my emotional torment. All I'm eating is everything that's going wrong in my life. That's all I can focus on. It seems to be the only thing that's filling me, and I don't want it to fill me because it's destroying me. 
I think some of us can, can relate to that through different seasons of life. Perhaps it's been in the midst of, of relational crisis. It feels like all it is is tears for food. That's all you can focus on. Anyone that's ever gone through any financial torment of any sort will know that it is relentless with how it grips and holds your emotions. And at times, all you feel like is the only thing that you've got is tears for food. And that's what the author, that's what David is trying to portray. This is how I feel day and night. This is all I've got. Everything's going wrong. I am emotionally spent. I am done. I have only got tears for food. While, while my enemies continually taunt me saying, where is this God of yours? Continue. And then he goes on and says, why am I so discouraged? Why, am I, why is my heart so sad? So he's, he's asking these questions. He's posing these questions. He's, he's writing this, this song or whatever you want to call it. He's writing this song. He's expressing this feeling to something, to God. He's expressing, I am struggling. I'm in emotional torment. I've only got tears for food. Why am I so discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I'm in the middle of a breakdown. And then he continues on and says, I will put my hope in God. I will praise Him again, my Savior and my God. Continue. Now, I am deeply discouraged, but I will remember you. I like it how he inserts this here. He says, now I will praise you. Now I will focus on you. Now I will worship you. And then he gets to hear from verse 5, verse 6. It says, now I am deeply discouraged. So I see he's saying, this is the place that I'm in. This is like what Alice was talking about last week. This is the place that you're in. It's a storm. It's the midst of everything going wrong. But I will praise you regardless. And then he gets here and says, but I am still deeply discouraged. I am still deeply feeling like life is over. Like life is worthless. Like life is a struggle. But I will remember you. I like it where his thoughts are at, where he's putting his antenna, so to speak. He's not hiding the fact that he's going through chaos. He's not hiding the fact that everything's falling apart. But what he says, in the midst of that, in the midst of all of that, I will remember you. And I want to project my worship onto you for the simple reason that I will resemble whatever it is that I worship. And I want to resemble something else. Even from distant Mount Haram, the source of the Jordan, from the land of Mount Mizar, continues on. I hear the tumult of the raging seas as your waves and surging tides sweep over me. But each day the Lord pours his unfailing love upon me and through, through each night I sing his songs, praying to God who gives me life. You can drop that slide. I like it and I love reading through the Psalms just in, in general, specifically when I'm struggling. To see what they're talking about, to see what they're sharing, to see what someone else goes through. What I've found in my life is sometimes it feels like we're the only ones that go through something. That we're, only, like, we're the only ones that go through a big issue and how do I move through that? And I love it how David portrays that. I love it how David talks about that. He talks about his struggle. He talks about his hardship. But in that, he talks about reflecting his worship onto God because ultimately because we will end up resembling whatever it is that we worship. Can we go to the next slide? Truth is this. Worshiping God doesn't guarantee scones and jam. 
Now, perhaps you don't like scones and jam, so that would just be horrendous if it did anyways. But for most of us, the example is this. Scones and jam it means like everything's just rosy. Everything's just cool. Every, like everything's a breeze. Worshiping God does not guarantee scones and jam. Never has, never will. The Bible doesn't guarantee that life's going to be easy. The Bible doesn't guarantee that life's going to be without a struggle. Jesus doesn't guarantee that life's not going to be tumultuous. The church doesn't guarantee that because you worship God that life's not going to be tumultuous. Worshiping God does not guarantee that life will not be tumultuous. It doesn't guarantee that life's not going to be scones and jam. What it does do, what worshiping God does do is changes what you will resemble on the other side of that. See, sometimes I think we've got this idea, if I'm going through the midst of everything that's chaotic, if I reflect my worship onto God, everything will get better. It's not necessarily the case. Can, like if we to stop and consider and ponder and pause on uh, as far as Jesus on his life, it definitely wasn't scones and jam. I'm sure being nailed to the cross wasn't scones and jam. That wasn't fun. That wasn't exciting. That wasn't like the the pinnacle of his ministry. Actually, it was the pinnacle of his ministry, but that wasn't the the pinnacle of excitement of his ministry. I imagine getting persecuted and getting beaten and all of that that took place and whipped before he went to the cross. That wasn't scones and jam. Getting rejected by his own people, that wasn't scones and jam. Heading into, a, into towns to minister when the towns completely reflect, um, refuse him and block him and send him away, I don't think that was scones and jam. When his best friends deny him, I'm pretty sure those moments weren't scones and jam, but yet still he was someone who reflected the qualities, the characters of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Why is that? Why could he go through life, go through times, go through seasons where anything but scones and jam and reflect that? Well, because the truth is that he resembled what it was that he worshipped. He chose to put his worship, his focus, his gaze, his everything, his undivided attention on God. So therefore, that was the thing that transformed him. And so in the midst, in the struggles, in everything that was going on, because he put his reflection, his moments, his everything into God, he resembled that as opposed to resembling his circumstance. When... um. Several years ago, I think it's about three years ago now, we lost our sister, our sister-in-law in a car accident. Uh, my brother had been married for, uh, my younger brother had been married for nine months and she, like, they had a car accident and she was the only one that was um, killed. And so I, I remember like immediately after that just feeling life's just chaotic as far as I couldn't think properly, I couldn't think straight. I'm try- like struggling to gather my thoughts, what I thought about everything and tried praying through it and that wasn't really working and so the only thing I knew how to do and this is just one element of worship I just I knew I had to come here so like the next day uh, like so this happened on a Saturday on Sunday we just had to be here at church not for anything not necessarily to tell anyone what was going on we just really felt both Sage and myself we had to come and we had to focus on worshiping God and we needed people around us to do so because at that moment, if we stayed together, as far as if we just stayed by ourselves, all we did was focus on the lost. But we wanted to focus on who God is. And so we came and we, we stood and we worshipped. And what I felt God speaking to me out of that was, through this, I don't want you to ask, why has this happened? I want you to ask, who am I? And so we, we spent this and we went through this journey of having to traverse and deal with this grief, deal with um, having our sister taken from us. And go through that, and yet the whole time I never asked why it happened, I just asked, 
the question of who are you and I project and I focus and I pushed into wanting to discover more of who God is, not ask the question of why did this happen? So I think sometimes we get caught in asking questions of why did it happen? Why, why is this taking place? Why is that happening? And all we start doing then is focusing on everything that's just taken place, everything that's gone wrong, everything that's hurt us. And we stop focusing on God. Sometimes it's posed with the idea of I'm trying to discover why this took place so I can stop it from happening again. But what it does is it takes our focus off God and puts it onto everything that's been stolen from us, everything that's gone wrong. And after a period of time, if we remain in there, we start resembling a person with bitterness, a person with hurt, a person with anger, a person with frustration. Why? Because we'll always resemble whatever it is that we worship. And when we worship the tragedies, we'll start resembling them. Back to the snakes and ladders. I was that kid that threw the board in the air. In fact, I did that with most of the board games that I played because I never seemed to be able to win. I remember like playing the game and I could just never get anywhere close. And then I realized my brother was going to win. So I decided that no one's going to win. I grabbed the board and I just threw it against the wall. I did that several times. I always get firmly reprimanded by my father. I just must have been an angry little child. I remember playing memory. You know that stupid, stupid game. And like I could never get anything, and so I just start scattering cards everywhere. I've picked up chessboards and tossed them across the room, like, and never been able to play that game since because you can't find the pieces anymore. Like it's what I've discovered. And what what I discovered is is this: that if I throw it against the wall, no one else is happy either. So everyone else gets to share in my unhappiness. It's a satisfactory feeling. At the time, until you become a parent and realize you can't do that anymore because then your kids are going to do it and, and it's just not cool. <laughs> but what I've discovered is that if I throw the board across the room, everyone else is unhappy as well. Everyone else is unhappy. And so what, something that I've been learning throughout my life and I'm continuing to learn is that what's going on in my life will affect the people around me. Can we go to the last slide? Last slide, it says this, that what you worship will determine your emotional framework. Whatever it is that you worship, that will determine where your emotional framework is, how you feel, what you're thinking, what you're going through. If you're worshiping all the events that have led to where you are that are negative, what's going to happen? Your emotional framework is going to be bitter. It's going to be angry. It's going to be upset. If your marriage is falling apart and that's all you focus on, what's going to happen? You're going to be more bitter and upset and frustrated at that, at everything that's going wrong. If you can't stand your boss and all it's all you and some, yeah, no, I won't say that. If you don't like your boss and sometimes and all the time, that's all you focus on, you're never going to see anything good in them. You're always going to focus on everything that they say to you that hurts you, that offends you, that struggles with you. And so what happens is that you just offended at everything they have to say. Why? Because what you worship will determine your emotional framework. And then your emotional framework impacts the people around you. You can't worship something and have it affect your emotions without those emotions impacting the people around you. So if I grab a chessboard, if I grab this board of snakes and throw it across the room, everyone else is upset. Because what has been going on in my heart, I've allowed to impact them in such a way that's upset them. So the truth is this. When it comes to worship, when it comes to what we're focusing on, you can put that slide down. It'll have greater 
implications. It'll have greater outworkings than just us. It will impact everyone around us. It'll impact our kids. It'll impact our family. It'll impact our friends. It'll impact our work colleagues, the people that we run into. It'll impact everything. What we worship will impact everyone around us. I wonder what it would look like if we as individuals, so if me, Robert Wiltshire, Jacinta Martin, Chris Stevenson, I'm not going to name everyone. At some point, I will forget someone's name and it'll be really embarrassing. I wonder what it would look like if all of us deliberately set out to fix our worship on God rather than our circumstances. What would change, actively change in our lives? Would it, would it make any difference? I think it absolutely would. Because if you resemble what you worship, then we would be transformed continually over time into that thing that we are worshiping. So if our focus is fixed on worshiping God, worshiping Jesus, as opposed to our snake's heads that we keep landing on, regardless of whether we're landing on them, regardless of whether it's happening in life, regardless of whether life's messy, we will be transformed into His likeness, into Jesus' likeness which looks like the outworkings of love, of joy, of peace, of patience. I don't know about you, but I want to move through life with joy in my heart. I want to move through life with, with peace. I, I absolutely hate when I go through life and I, the peace is just gone. Whether it's from stress, from work, from whatever, I absolutely hate that. I want to move through life with peace in my heart, regardless of what's going on. I want to move through life with joy and love towards others in my heart, regardless of what's going on. And I wonder what would transform in our lives specifically if we focus our undivided attention, our undivided worship on God, regardless of the circumstance. Maybe do what the psalmist does. Start writing stuff down. It doesn't mean you you push it aside and pretend all that mess doesn't exist, but rather you bring God into the mess and speak to Him out of the mess and allow Him to do something in you and through you. And then the second thing, if we're transformed into His image, into His likeness by worshiping Him, if we resemble what we worship, what does it do for the people perhaps around us? Like what does it do for our kids or our families or our co-workers or our friends? What impact does it have on them? If our emotional framework has an impact on everyone around us, what would happen to the people around us if our worship was reflected solely on God rather than our circumstances? I think they would have a better example to follow. You know what, something that I hate about my life? Um, I know it's, 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 a, it's a strong word, but one of the things that I really struggle with is keeping cool when I'm stressed, specifically at work when the kids are around. So the kids always, they get the, 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 the wrong end of me if they come to work with me at some point. When everything's just going wrong and you, you're busy and you haven't got time to deal with all the messes, they cop it. Why do they cop it? Because there's an issue in my heart at that moment because I'm focusing my worship on something other than God and I'm allowing that to have impact on my emotional framework. But So then it has impact on them. I believe all of us here, all of us, I'd like to assume anyways, we all want to move through life in such a way that releases joy, releases peace, releases kindness, releases love into our life, and so does that to others. I believe the way that we do that is focusing an undivided attention on God, bringing Him into the mess, bringing Him into every situation, and focusing on who He is 
and worshiping him ultimately because whatever we worship we will resemble how about you stand and i'd love to pray for you father gosh it's hard sometimes to worship you when life feels tumultuous when we feel like we're a tiny ship in the middle of uh, of, an, of an ocean that is just roaring and raging around us father it's it's hard to uh, worship you father it's hard to engage in you um, in those places and take our eyes off everything that's going wrong and, and fix our focus on you. And I pray, Father, for all of us, um, regardless of the oceans that we're floating in, Father, I pray that your presence and your spirit can help us do just that. Help us focus our worship on you, Father. And out of that, out of that place, Jesus, I pray that we can be transformed into your likeness where out of our worship father we resemble you rather than our circumstances rather than the stresses rather than the breakdowns rather than the fatigue i pray that we resemble your presence your person pray for everyone here um, who's perhaps struggling perhaps feeling like life for them is like constantly stepping on snake's head i pray jesus that out of that father i pray that you continue to reveal yourself to us And I pray that out of that, we continue to pursue you, to pursue a relationship with you, Father. And that out of that relationship, Father, that we might resemble you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. Please subscribe to hear more sermons from Epicenter Church. 